If you've got a Bible, open the book of Proverbs, chapter 27. Uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, um, on your seat, where you're seated when you came in, should be one of these connection cards. Um, it's got a little space to fill a little, out a little information about yourselves, and all we want to do is send you some information about us, answer any questions you may have about Redeemer. We don't want to show up on your doorstep and expect you to invite us in for dinner. We don't want to call you at the most inopportune time of the day um, and expect to have an hour-long conversation with you. All we want to do is be able to connect with you, answer any questions that you have. The bottom of that is also a place for prayer requests. If there's anything that we can be in prayer with you or for you about, feel free to jot that down there. Our elder staff would love to be able to walk alongside of you and carry those burdens with you or be able to rejoice in the things that God is doing in your life and be able to rejoice rejoice with you. And so you can drop those in the box at the kiosk in the back of the room on your way out today. Uh, Also, you could text the word welcome if you're a guest and want an electronic option there. You can text the word welcome to 972-992-1819. right? And you can pull up an electronic form for that as well. Um, But also, if you're a guest, we started a new series last week uh, called Worship and Wisdom. And so over the course of the summer, we're going to be walking through the books of the Psalms and the Proverbs and selected texts there, uh, taking a look at uh, some of those passages as they come off the page for us and address real realities in our modern life with ancient wisdom. And so this week, we find ourselves in the book of Proverbs. Last week, we kicked it off with a psalm. This week, we're in the book of Proverbs. And before we get to our text, I want to set the stage for you a little bit with what the book of Proverbs is. It's a part of what the Old Testament, the Old Testament collection of what's called wisdom literature. Wisdom literature. And so wisdom in the Old Testament, and even in our modern era, wisdom is more than knowledge. Right? You can know a whole lot about something and still be an absolute fool. <laughs> you know people like that? Um, sometimes I look that person in the mirror every morning. And so you can be, have a whole lot of knowledge about something and be an absolute fool. So wisdom is more than knowledge. Wisdom is not only knowing something to be true, but living in light of it, ordering your steps after it, walking in it. It means that when there's a course of action that's laid out that you actually take it as opposed to having just an intellectual discussion about it or a conversation with friends, right? Or intellectually understanding it and conversationally discussing that you actually bend your will volitionally to actually walk in it and do it. That's what wisdom is. And so wisdom in the the book of the Proverbs oftentimes is set forth in these principles and not necessarily promises that God makes, but principles of how life is supposed to work under the authority of God. And so he lays out principles throughout the books of the Proverbs, but there are places in the Proverbs where wisdom is not only spoken of as a principle for our lives, but also as a person. Like in the book of Proverbs in chapter 1, verses 20 and following, where the sage writes, he talks about how wisdom is standing on the street corner like a herald, like a preacher, like someone who's trying to gain people's attention and they're calling out in the streets to everyone who passes by, would you listen to me? I have something to say to you. And so wisdom is presented at times in the book of Proverbs as a person 
who's calling out to us. But oftentimes in our modern world, with all of the technology that surrounds us, there's so much static in our lives that whenever wisdom cries out to us, it's like we're just bopping along the sidewalk with our Beats headphones, right? The thickest foam, sound-insulating foam you can imagine on, blaring music as high as our iPhone will play it, and we're just walking along and wisdom's crying out and shouting to us about how we should live, how we should conduct ourselves, what is the best course of action, but oftentimes we don't hear it because there's so much static in our lives. So wisdom is sometimes presented as a principle, it's sometimes personified as a person who's crying out to us. And one of the areas in which the book of Proverbs lays forth principles and wisdom's calling out to us as a person uh, to, to conduct ourselves in a particular way is in the area of our friendships. It's in the area of our friendships. One early church father named Jerome, he said this, he said, a friend is long sought, hardly found, and with difficulty kept. And I thought about that this week. And I, and I thought about why he would say those three things, that it's long sought, hardly found, and with difficulty kept. These may not be the only reasons, but some of the reasons. One, one reason a friend may be long sought is because true friendship involves more than hanging out with someone on weeknights and the weekends. Right? It involves more than an acquaintance with someone based upon shared hobbies or interests or geography based on where you live. True friendship is more than that. It's more than that. It may not be less than that, but it's more than that. It's more than hanging out with someone on the weekends or having, dinner, having people over to dinner, uh, to your house for dinner or going over to their house for dinner. It's more than that. One reason they may be hardly found is because we are so gun shy and insecure of letting people know the real us. And so we keep people at our arm's length. We don't really let friends get close to see what's going on inside. We kind of keep them at a safe distance. And so a true friend, if they're more than an acquaintance that we hang out with and share hobbies and interests with, if they actually get to know the real us, they're hardly found. We might have lots of acquaintances, but feel like we have no friends because we keep stiff-arming people and keeping them at a distance. We don't let them see the real condition of our souls. But he says they're with difficulty kept. And I think one of the reasons they're with difficulty kept is because even though we may in the church have fellowship with each other as saints, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we also fellowship with each other as sinners. And you have sinned against some and they have sinned against you. And so they're with difficulty kept because there's got to be forgiveness that's extended. There's got to be grace that's shown. There's got to be compassion that's exhibited in the context of those friendships. They're with difficulty kept. He goes on in the same context to say the friendship that has, can cease has never been real. The friendship that can cease has never been real. Now what would cause what appears to be a friendship on the surface, because many of us have those, we may have acquaintances, people that we know that we hang out with, but it seems like sometimes those friendships come to an end, they can cease. He says the ones that can cease have never been authentic, they've never been genuine, they never have been real. And there may be a lot of reasons why on the surface what appeared to be a friendship might come to an end, right? It might be because some, it was just based on geography. Somebody lived two doors down from you and you hung out with them and they moved and you lose track with them and you don't pursue them, they don't pursue you. It was just based upon the fact that you guys lived on the same street. Or it may be based on the fact that you guys are in the same season of life. And so as people move on to other seasons of life, you feel like you got left behind. 
There might be a whole host of reasons why friendships, what appear to be friendships on the surface, may cease, but one of them, listen, this is going to get to the heart of the text that we're going to look at this morning. One of the reasons is this. One reason that what appeared to be on the surface to be a friendship might cease is because one or both of the people in the relationship are not committed to honesty and truth-telling. And so there's only so far that that friendship can progress. There's only so far that it can actually go. If you're not committed to honesty and truth-telling, there's walls that begin to come up because you wall off parts of your heart from other people. Maybe because you've been hurt before. I don't know. But we begin to wall up off parts of ourselves from other people. And there's not a commitment to honesty and truth-telling. One or both people in the relationship are not ready or able to deliver what the Bible calls faithful wounds. They're not ready or able to deliver or receive faithful wounds. Our text this morning is Proverbs 27. We're going to read verses 5 and 6 together. In Proverbs 27, the ancient sage writes these words. He says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse or many are the kisses of an enemy. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful wounds of a friend are uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. See, one of the principles that the Bible lays out in the book of Proverbs for friendships under the authority of God as Christians fellowshipping together, one of the principles that it lays out in the context of friendships is this, that faithful wounds are better than false love. Faithful wounds are better than false love. If you look at the text in verses 5 and 6, there's two lines there in, in, in the poetic nature of the book of Proverbs. There's two lines. And oftentimes in poetry, there's what's called parallelism. In other words, things in the first verse are parallel to things in the second verse. And so in the first line of verse 5 is parallel to the first line of verse 6. The second line of verse 5 is parallel to the second line of verse 6. So what the author of the proverb is saying is this. An open rebuke is the faithful wound of a friend. And that is better than the hidden love or the many kisses and flattery of an enemy. What it means to wound faithfully as a friend at times is to engage in open rebuke. So faithful wounds are better than false love. Now an open rebuke what is an open rebuke? An open rebuke is this. It's an honest, loving, and corrective truth-telling. It's honest. doesn't hold anything back. It's loving. It's done in a gracious and compassionate and tender manner. And it is corrective. In other words, you see something going awry. You see something going astray in someone's life. So you want to bring them back on the tracks. It's like they've gotten derailed somewhere. You want to help put them back on the tracks. It's corrective, truth-telling. It's saying, put it simply, it's saying the honest and hard things to people as an expression of your love for them. Saying the honest and hard things to people as an expression of your love for them. On the flip side, hidden love in the text is hypocritical, unloving silence or flattery. In other words, I don't say anything or I just kind of keep 
blowing kisses in the wind at people. It's hidden love, he says. Hidden love often looks like talking a whole lot about people, but rarely to them. We talk about all their issues that they have. We talk about them with all of our other friends, but we don't actually go to those individuals and lay those things out. See, the profuse kisses of an enemy is, is what you might call flattery. And flattery oftentimes is partial truth or lies that you might use to kind of stay on good terms with someone. So you flatter them. And he says, actually, what happens in this context is that the individuals we think that are, that are wounding us, that we think are our enemies, are actually our friends, whenever those who we think are just, who are flattering us, that we think are our friends, are actually our enemies. Do you see the contrast that he's drawing there in the text? Faithful wounds are always better than false love, the author of the Proverbs says. So what this is saying is this. That it is more loving to say the honest and hard things than to cover them up and conceal them. It is more loving, it's better, to say the honest and the hard things rather than covering them up and concealing them in our silence or in our flattery. But this is so counterintuitive, isn't it? Because most of us in this room this morning, we don't feel this way right now. (laughs) We don't feel like it's better to say the honest and the hard things. We feel like it's better oftentimes to cover and conceal them. It's so counterintuitive and runs so against the grain of our nature. But what we need to see is that often, actually what's going on whenever we conceal and cover those things up and we don't press into those with honest and hard truth in a loving, gracious, compassionate, and tender way, what we're doing is we end up supporting the dysfunction of our, our, our other people's souls rather than addressing it. We support it rather than address it. Listen, a couple of years ago, I went to a, a healthcare professional. I, I've been a runner, a long-distance runner for a long time. So I went to a healthcare professional because I was having some issues in my calves and my Achilles. Like I actually had like lumps forming on the back of my Achilles tendon, which for, all, for everything I read, they're like, that's not good, okay? And so I went to a healthcare professional to have it, have it addressed and have it worked on. And so as a part of him working on those, those knots in my lower calf and working on the stuff in my Achilles tendon, he made the recommendation that I purchase custom orthotics to place in my running shoes, and so I thought about it for a while and I started doing research about custom orthotics and where you could get them and how much they cost and what they do. But the more that I read about trying to place custom orthotics in my running shoes to alleviate the pain that I was having in my calves or in my Achilles, over and over again, I came across this information that talked about how whenever you place those custom orthotic insoles into your shoes, what they're doing, they're not addressing the dysfunction, they're supporting it. They're supporting it. And so you end up supporting the dysfunction in your feet. And that was a part of my issue. I had things going on in my feet that just weren't right. And so you end up supporting that. And what happens whenever the dysfunction of any part of our body gets supported, it begins to have collateral damage other places. Right? Because what's going on in your feet, foot isn't being worked through and addressed, but it's being supported. And so that begins to spread. You begin to have issues like in your, in your, in your hamstring or in your hip or in your back as you support the dysfunction rather than working through it. And so at, at that point, I was like, man, I'm out on the orthotics. So I found another healthcare provider who was a soft tissue therapist in our area. 
And so I, I began to, 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 to reach out to, to them and I scheduled an appointment, went in. And as a part of their assessment, they talked me through kind of everything that was going on in my body. And then she began to treat me. Now listen, when she, when she put me on the table, it was not pleasant. Like I, I didn't want to sign up for that. Because what she began to do is take her shot put javelin discus in college throwing hands and she began to just grind at those adhesions in my calf and at those adhesions in my Achilles and under my foot and some of those bony areas at times and all that soft tissue. She began to scrape down all those adhesions. And as she did, it was painful. And I'm laying there. I'm so grateful, man, that she had such just a tender, soft voice. Because I'm laying there in excruciating pain. And she makes me feel good about it. But there was something that she knew that I didn't. She knew that if you continue to support those dysfunctions, they're only going to grow and get worse and more destructive. But if you address them and work through them, then you can come out on the other side in a healthy and whole manner. See, what she knew is she was hurting me to heal me. She was hurting me to heal me. And listen, in our, our souls are much the same way. If you end up supporting the dysfunction of your souls or your friend's souls, they will only grow and spread. In fact, some of the chronic emotional and spiritual issues that exist in your life right now is because those those dysfunctions have been supported over the course of a lifetime as opposed to addressed and worked through and worked out. You gotta break up some of those adhesions in your soul rather than propping them up with insoles and orthotics. The text is saying this. This is what it's saying. It's better to have people in our life who are willing to apply pressure at certain points where they see some of these things going on in our souls that we ourselves maybe cannot see in order to be the healing agents at times of God's hand and breaking up some of those knots and some of those adhesions and restoring function to those parts of our soul. It's better to have individuals like that in our lives than individuals who just want to be insoles. They just want to be orthotics. It's better but who says it's better? <laughs> this is what struck me this week as I read through this. Listen, I, I'm, what, what I'm saying to you, the authority for this comparison is, is not sourced in my wisdom. It's not sourced in the wisdom of our elders here at Redeemer. It's not sourced in the wisdom of any other person who's on staff here or in leadership here in the life of this local church. The authority for this comparison is sourced in the wisdom of God. In other words, God says it is better. God says it is better to faithfully wound rather than falsely love. 
God says it is better. This means no matter how uneasy you are with the idea of delivering or receiving the faithful wound of a friend through an open rebuke, it is better, more loving, and demonstrates more commitment to the person than flattery or hidden love. In the wisdom of God, faithful wounds are better than false love. It's better than keeping the peace. It's better than not rocking the boat. It's better than not turning over the cart. It's better to apply pressure than function as an insult. God says relational vertigo at times in your life is better than false stability. You know what vertigo is? It's that sensation that you get, the older I get, the more it happens to me. Like when you're bending over time, you're shooting, you go to stand up and you stand up too fast. And what happens? You feel like the whole room is spinning, right? Everything around you is just kind of like, woo. Like I just got off a Ferris wheel or, or a merry-go-round. All right, that's vertigo. And some people experience it in light and momentary ways. Some people experience it for months on end if they go on a cruise or if they have maybe an inner ear issue. Why? Because what's happening is their equilibrium gets disrupted. It gets disrupted. And when their equilibrium gets disrupted, everything becomes unstable. But what, the, the, what this proverb is saying is this. is Sometimes relational vertigo, where their relational equilibriums get disrupted, is better than living with a false sense of stability. Because if you never have any of those relational vertigos in your life, where your equilibrium gets disrupted, listen, what you're on the verge of is whenever things do come to the surface or have to get addressed, just them exploding, exploding. It's better to have this than the other, the author of the Proverbs says. So what do we need to do? Listen, I wanna talk to, to, to two groups of folks in the room this morning. One, to those of you who right now maybe are in a position where you need to deliver a faithful wound. And to those of you right now who are in the position where maybe you need to receive one. Okay? So there's probably two groups in here. One who needs to deliver it. One who needs to receive it. I'm not, saying, not pointing to different sides of the crowd because all you need to deliver it and all you need to receive it. But there's, there's, there's two groups that are addressed in this text. So let me first talk to those individuals in the room this morning who may be in the position right now where you need to deliver one. And here's what I would say to you. This is what this text would say to you. It would say, let your love come into the open. Let your love come into the open. Listen, many of us agree with this in principle, but we do not embrace it in practice. We think, that's a great idea, until we actually have to enter into those conversations. We agree with it in principle, we don't embrace it in practice. And many of us agree with it until we are the ones who have to deliver that blow. We are the ones who have to wound faithfully as a friend. So let's talk a little bit this morning about what this is not, okay? The faithful wound of a friend is not rolling in and putting your friend on blast so that you can kind of give yourself an emotional enema, okay? That's, that's not what we're talking about this morning, okay? Some of us, listen, some of us have shied away from this for so long that our souls are so constipated right now that all we want to do is clear that back up out. And what happens in those moments is that we end up just verbally dropping all kinds of nastiness all over people. And so we, we, we sit down with them, we just put them on blast and blow them up. That's not what we're talking about here. We're also not talking about how that an open rebuke is not bus rolling others behind their back to anyone and everyone who will listen. 
Some of us think that we're being open and honest by talking to everyone but them. That's not an open rebuke. That's not corrective counsel or truth. That's not what we're talking about either. What we're talking about is a loving, gracious, hospitable, tender, compassionate addressing of the issue and applying some pressure to points, those, those points of dysfunction in other people's souls that at times God gives us the ability to see that they have not yet. That's what we're talking about. Is sitting down first and confessing your own sin. Saying, listen, I've, 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 not, I've not come to you when I knew that I should. And I, at this point, I've got to let my let love into the open and not hide it in the closet any longer. Confessing your own sin, but then in a very tender, gracious, compassionate way. You begin, to, you begin to put some pressure on some of those points, those, those, those adhesions in their soul by saying some honest and hard things. And listen, uh, those of you who are students in the room this morning, listen, this, even some of you adults, this does not take place best over a text message. Okay? Listen, some of you, that's the only way you know how to communicate anymore. Like staring at the screen, Sinned, right? We've lost the ability to sit down across the table from somebody else and look them in the eye. Say, I love you and I'm committed to you, but I've got to say some things. And these are hard for me to say, but I've got to be honest. It takes place best in a face-to-face conversation where there's no one reading into the emotion or the tone of your voice, but you can say it in a tender, loving, and compassionate manner. See, some of us need a new category in our minds for the kind of friendships, these kinds of friendships, because all we've ever really known in our friendships is ones where we shied away from saying the hard and honest things. And listen... We talked several weeks ago about uh, surface and source idols. Okay, we talked about how there's all these surface idols that you can see all over our lives and other people's lives, but there are source idols. There are things underneath feeding those things. We talked about three of them a couple of weeks ago. If you missed that message, go back and listen to the message on the podcast called Sober Prayers out of 1 Peter. Sober Prayers, how our idolatry affects our prayer life. Go back and listen to that message. But I want to press on some of these again this morning because I think it's so, so applicable here for us. Listen, for those of you in the room this morning who need to deliver a faithful wound, you need to let your love come into the open. You need a new category in your mind where you don't shy away, but you press in and say honest and hard things. And this is so hard and so challenging for those of us in the room this morning who have approval and comfort idols. This is so difficult We talked several weeks ago about approval idols being my life will have meaning, I will have significance, I will have purpose, all the stars will be aligned in my life if I have the approval of certain people or groups of people. Or or the same goes, is true for comfort. Everything will, all the stars will align, my life will have meaning, I will have purpose, I'll feel good about myself if I can just maintain a certain degree of comfort. And for those of you who are looking to other people for approval and trying to maintain at all costs a false stability and comfort level in your relationships, this is like, I mean, you'd rather like have surgery than do this. 
It's so hard. You cringe at the fact, at the thought of delivering an open rebuke and of faithfully wounding someone. See, those with comfort and approval idols, they would rather not rock the boat. They would rather keep the peace. And by nature, they'd prefer at all costs to maintain false stability rather than introducing that relational vertigo into those relationships because it would be uncomfortable for them to do that. So it would go against the grain of their longing for comfort and that person might reject them and not approve of them any longer and so they might walk away and they would lose something they're looking to for their significance and security in life. To let your love come into the open for those with approval and comfort idols is incredibly challenging and you cringe at the thought of it. But if you've got one of those under the surface in your heart, here's what you need to understand. You need to lay down your quest for people's approval because you've been approved of by God in Christ. See, Jesus did not just come to forgive your sins. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is this, that he came to credit you with his righteousness. And so in your ledger, Before God, it's not just that all your sins have been stricken out and you get to start over and hopefully now you can do better than you did last time. (laughs) But rather, what in your ledger before God, all your sins have been stricken out and all of his credits have been applied to you that you live the life that he lived. So when God looks at you, he sees you through the lens of his son and he approves of you. So you don't need anyone else's approval because he has showered it upon you in Christ. You need to rest in that. And when you see him laying aside the riches of heaven in order to come and love us well, those of you with comfort idols, you need to lay aside that that false sense of stability and lean into that relational vertigo at times. You need to aim, a little practical, you need to aim to be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. He doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. See, a peacekeeper is someone who avoids and withdraws and is silent. Peacemakers are those individuals who lean into the hard conversations in a gracious, compassionate, tender, and loving manner in order to work through the issue and come out on the other side with a relational harmony and a wholeness that did not exist before in their false sense of stability. So Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. And those of us with approval and comfort idols, we need to trust God for grace to become the kinds of individuals who would make peace as opposed to keep it. See, students, some of you in the room right now, this is where you are. (laughs) This is where you are. Because right now you see some of your friends like derailed in areas of their life. And you keep shying away from that conversation and you won't lean into it. Right? Sometimes it's like a softball, right? Just lobbed right down the middle of the plate. Right? And you could just lean into that and instead you just kind of step back from the plate and go, not me and not today. See, if you look, some of you examine your friend's social media feeds and you see, right, on one hand, they're like, man, Jesus is awesome. I love church. The next day, they're like, who am I going to hook up with next weekend? Like, what? And some of you see that and you say nothing. Let your love come into the open. Adults were no better oftentimes. 
or no better. One of the surface idols we talked about a couple of weeks ago was materialism. Some of you see individuals whose lives are so wrapped up in possessions and money and the pursuit of those things, and yet we just we walk away from those conversations without ever having leaned in in a loving, tender way. To see their souls set free and so that money can just become money and not a God and possessions can just become things and not an idol. Some of us need to let our love come into the open. The second group of individuals in here this morning I want to talk to you as well. Those of you who might be on the receiving end of a faithful wound. The receiving end of a faithful wound. One of the things that this text teaches us is that you and I need to learn to cherish those people in our lives who are faithful friends. We need to cherish those individuals who are faithful friends. Again, many of us agree with this in practice, but in principle, we have a hard time when it comes to practice. We're good with all this until we receive the blow from other people. When we receive the wound from other individuals, and we need a new category in our minds about friendships that are true friends, that are faithful friends, that would be willing to wound us with truth. And listen, if those with approval and comfort idols have a hard time delivering that faithful wound, those with power and control idols have such a hard time receiving it. Such a hard time receiving it. Listen, if you think that, that your life has meaning, your life has purpose, everything, all your stars are aligned, if your life is ordered and disciplined and it appears to be that way to everyone else, and someone's coming to you and saying, I see something awry, and that just blows your world up. Or your, your life is ordered around, your, the thing you're pursuing most is the influence and power. And everyone to see you as an influential individual and somebody to come to you and say, hey, there's something that's undercutting that. It just blows you up. I have such a hard time receiving this if you have a power and control idol. You'd rather people say nice things to you and be insoles in your life all your life rather than addressing some of the adhesions in your soul or in your heart. Because that image of being someone who has everything together, whose life is ordered, and who has influence is so central to your identity. We have such a hard time receiving those. So what we need to do is learn to cherish those individuals, value them. Because our tendency, if you have a control or power idol, you don't want to box them out, right? Got a few ex-basketball players in the room this morning. Right? Whenever the shot goes up, what did your coach teach you to do? Put your back against somebody else and keep them out of the paint, right? Because you want to fight for that rebound. So you're keeping them away from where the action's at. And listen, for those of us with power and control idols, that's what we want to do. We want to box people out of our lives and keep them away from where the action is taking place at the level of our hearts and our souls. We want to box them out. And in fact, at times, not only do we box them out, but sometimes whenever this happens, when we receive that kind of a faithful wound, not only do we box people out, but we boil up with anger. And things get really heated, perhaps very quickly. And listen, I'm just going to go say this. The degree to which you're infuriated by a faithful wound from somebody that you know loves you, somebody that you know that cares for you, the degree to which you're infuriated by that is the degree to which Power and control have gripped your heart. They've gripped your heart. John Huss was an early reformer in the late 14th, early 15th century. He said this. He said, you do not understand 
that the smooth-tongued flatterer is an enemy, while he that chastises is a lover and healer of wounds. Although the sick man is angry and murmurs at the chastisement. See, the degree to which our hearts are sick and the degree to which there are adhesions on our soul is the degree to which we blow up and get angry and infuriated whenever somebody comes to us with a faithful wound of a friend. Somebody that loves and cares for you. If we are infuriated by that, there's a sickness in our soul. You need to cherish those people in your life who love you enough to say something rather than remaining silent or propping up your dysfunction with lies and half-truths or partial truths. David Clarkson, a Puritan pastor in the 17th century, said it this way. He said, you would count him unworthy of the name of friend who, knowing a thief or an arson to lurk in your family with a design to kill or rob or burn your house, would conceal it from you and not acquaint you with it on his own accord. In other words, he says, if he had to, if he, just not out of coercion, not out of being forced to do so, if, if he didn't come to you and there was a thief in your family who was living in your house who was going to rob you blind, or an arsonist who was going to set it on fire and burn it to the ground, if that friend didn't come to you, you wouldn't count them as a friend any longer if they knew the destruction this person was going to cause. And he says, there is no such thief, murderer, arsonist as sin. In other words, there is nothing that can destroy you like sin can destroy you. Silence or concealment in this case is treachery. He is the most faithful friend and worthy of the most esteem and affection that deals most plainly with us in reference to the discovery of our sin. He that is reserved in this case is but a false friend, a mere pretender to love. That's beautiful language to describe the fact that you, you, if you're on the receiving end of that, you've got to learn to cherish those individuals, value them, because they're being a faithful friend to you. You've got to learn to see them differently, not box them out and not boil over. But what you've got to do, let me give you two practical things when this happens. You've got to learn, you've got to learn to suspect yourself and inspect yourself. See, when, when people come to you with a faithful wound, is your first movement of your heart, is it to want to defend yourself, right? You're like a lawyer arguing a case. That's not me, that's not the case, that's not what happened. Or is your first inclination to be suspect of your own heart? To be suspect of your own heart. And instead of boxing that individual out, what you do is you go to even to other people who know you well and are close to you, and you say, listen, this is something that's been shared with me recently. Do you see this? Do you see this in me? Because I'm suspect of myself. Before I want to lob grenades back and argue my case, I want to be suspect of my own heart first. And then you inspect yourself. Maybe like David in the Psalms, you pray, God, would you search me and would you know me? Would you test my thoughts? Would you see if there's any wicked way within me? God, because I, I, I can't always see that for myself. Would you raise that? And maybe, just maybe, that faithful wound from a friend is God raising that up in your life. And that's the last thing that I want to say to you this morning. Is that sometimes faithful wounds from a friend are a part of the loving discipline of your father. So 
See, in Proverbs chapter 3, we find these words, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The Lord reproves. The Lord corrects. The Lord has honest and hard conversations with your soul. The Lord is compassionate, gracious, and tender towards you. Even in your sin that he sees so clearly, he reproves and corrects us. He disciplines us as a father would his child. Because he doesn't want his child to be off the rails and wheels off all of his life. He wants to rein that in and bring him back into a place of flourishing for him. Back in a place where things can go well for him. That's the purpose of your disciplined parents and the lives of your kids. It's not just so they'll mind their manners and their P's and Q's and they'll like say yes ma'am and yes sir, but it's so that they can flourish in life. They can know what it is to walk with God and be under his discipline at times. It says don't despise the discipline of the Lord. Now in most of your translations, that word Lord is all caps. L-O-R-D. And what that signifies is this, is the fact that what the, 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 the author of the proverb is using is God's covenant name, Yahweh. Yahweh. The name that he gives to Moses. When Moses says, who shall I ask? Whenever I go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, who shall I ask? Tell him, this is who. And throughout the Old Testament, God's covenant name comes into play whenever God is making a promise unconditionally and unilaterally to love and bless his people. Unconditionally love and unilaterally bless his people. Like in the, the, the book of, uh, of Genesis, whenever God establishes covenant with Abraham. And God says, Abraham, those of you who've heard me teach on this before, you've heard this, Abraham, you aren't gonna pass through the dead pieces of animals. I'm gonna pass through for both of us, Abraham, because I'm gonna be so committed to blessing you and your offspring and your children and their children that far be it from me, Abraham, that if I should ever revoke my promise to you that I'd be split in half. And Abraham, if you ever fail to uphold your end of the covenant to me, may I be split in half. God unilaterally promises to bless his people. In other words, God is so gracious that he moves towards us in our sin with such a deep commitment to us. Such a deep and gracious commitment to us that he cannot let us live that way any longer. And sometimes what God does is he raises up a faithful friend who would speak truth in our lives to, that would wound us, but they would hurt us to heal us. They would cut us to cleanse us. And sometimes the faithful wounds of a friend are the loving discipline of a father. Do you know that God loves you so deeply? So deeply. That like a surgeon, and I've talked to several of them over the course of the last five years. Like a surgeon who cuts to heal and cleanse. That he is so committed to your holiness. He's so committed to your flourishing. He's so committed to your welfare. He's so committed to bless you and pour out his love on you that he would bring into your life individuals who would let their love come into the open. 
that he would bring you into others' lives with whom you need to have an honest and hard conversation. Do you know that God so loves you and is so deeply committed to you that he would do that? So don't despise his discipline, even if it comes from the mouth of the person sitting next to you. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. God has been a faithful father and a faithful friend. In her song, In the Secret of His Presence, Sandra McCracken, she didn't write it, she just plays it, sings it. It's an old, old hymn written by, actually by an Indian in the caste system of India. Um, but it has several verses, and one of the verses in that song I want to close with this morning, she writes these words. She says, only this I know. I tell him all my doubts, my griefs, my fears. Oh, how patiently he listens, and my drooping soul he cheers. In other words, when I meet with God, yes, it's great. It's amazing. He encourages me. He lifts me. I have sweet fellowship with him. But then he, they go on the very next line to say, do you think he never reproves me? What a false friend he would be if he never told me of the sins which he must see, of the sins which he must see. And sometimes God tells us of the sins that he sees through the mouths of faithful friends. This morning as we close, I want to give you an opportunity just to pray and reflect for the next couple of minutes. David's going to come. He's going to play something soft underneath. And here's what I want to ask you to, to do. I want you to think about and pray through whether or not you find yourself on, on, on the end of needing to deliver a faithful wound to someone that you care for deeply and to be a part of the discipline of God in that individual's life. Or whether or not, on the other hand, you need to receive that faithful wound from somebody that cares for you deeply as a part of your loving, faithful father's discipline in your life. Some of you right now, might, there might be people coming to your mind, right? There might be people coming to your mind right now. You're going, man, I know that I need to have an honest and hard conversation with this individual. And right now, I want to ask you to pray for God's grace to let your love come into the open. Some of you right now, you may be thinking, I'm doing pretty good. And then all of a sudden, somebody's going to, wow, it's going to cold clock you. Not because they were harsh, not because they were um, taking vengeance for anything that you've said or done in the past, but because they've stepped into obedience and walking in wisdom by letting their love come into the open. So maybe you would pray right now, God, if that should come, when that should come in my life, whether it's next week, whether it's two years from now, God, would you give me the grace to cherish those individuals, to be suspect of myself and to inspect where I am before I begin to push back. I'm going to give you a few moments just to pray. And I'm going to close this in prayer.
would you make us, by your grace, into the kind of people who so love, who so love you, because we've been so loved by you, that we would so love others, that we would be willing, at times even to wound with our words, and then to move close to love and to care for and tenderness and compassion those who are hurting. And God, may you make us by your grace the kinds of people who so want to bear the image of our master that we're willing to receive the faithful wounds of a friend that you've placed in our lives and that we would cherish them we would value them Father we confess that apart from you we can't do either of these two things Jesus' name.